Reform Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. I'm Tony. Tony, how are you doing? Good, good. It's been a good day. Some Sabbath rests, always good. I'm all about that. So before we get into episode seven, which is the perfect number, so clearly the perfect this is about number. to be the perfect episode. Remind me again, why do we call this thing the Reformed Brotherhood? So um, when we were starting this podcast, you know, trying to think of names, and um, there's something about a brotherhood that's just really cool. And doing this podcast with my brother-in-law, um, you know, it just sounded like the perfect name. And to sort of go past that, like Paul uses the term brother to refer to just about everybody that he's writing to. So our brotherhood, you know, we're, we're brothers by marriage, but then we're also brothers in the faith. And, you know, we have a brotherhood that exp- extends past just you and I. And so the hope is with this podcast that we're able to sort of develop that um, that concept and really kind of link with other believers around the world through this podcast. Right on. Hashtag all brothers. Hashtag all the time. Yep. There we go. So many. I'm, ter- I'm so terrible at hashtags because <laughs> I, I try to pack so much into hashtags and they end up being like little mini dissertations. I've actually noticed that about your hashtags. Yeah. And this is this is apropos because we're we were going to speak a little bit about technology. And I've noticed your use of hashtags is pretty epic. Yeah. Well, those ones are the ones I do on the Facebook group are like pretty straightforward. It's like, well, su- sum up the passage, uh, you know, passage. Um, in like a couple words, but sometimes on like Facebook, I'll be like, hashtag, uh, epic episode, hashtag rock and podcasting hash. And it's like, it just goes on forever. <laughs> and on, on Facebook, you don't have the, you know, the character limits. So you can just keep going. No, that's true. It, is it just me or sometimes the hashtag thing a little bit imposing and intimidating? Like, I feel like the hashtag has to be always clever and creative. Like you can't just, just drop yeah. a hashtag that's like straightforward and lame. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is like hashtags when they were first created weren't intended to be like this statement. It was supposed to be like a sorting tactic. So you could put a hashtag in so you could like find it later. And now it's turned into like you you make a pithy statement on Twitter and you've got 140 characters and then you've got to make another pithy, pithy statement in a hashtag. And pretty soon it's going to just be like like three letters is how you communicate and you have to like get everything packed into that little, it's like communication is getting shrunk down more and more and more. Um, you know, what is the saying? Like why say something in a hundred words when you can do it in 50? And I say the other, <laughs> why say something in seven words when you can do it in 150? That is spoken like a true teacher and theologian for the yes, record. I love to be verbose. I love to say things multiple times in many different ways. I feel like what we should do in the spirit of brotherhood is just drop some, some like, accountability right here and you should give me the last hashtag you used and i'll give you the last hashtag i used is that really i don't even know what the last hashtag i used was because here's the funny thing i'll drop a hashtag like on twitter and then sometimes i will actually go and click on it to see as like a sort search right and it's just me but that's pretty much my common experience like i'm not saying anything that anybody's actually searching for yeah unless uh unless i run into like a hashtag that i like and i just unabashedly steal it later on so the last Um, one that i used is i just had posted twitter recently that i have decided that this is now officially the year of 2016 no shave 2016 so i've just given up shaving it's just there we go so it'll it'll come back i'm sure at some point in 2017 presuming the lord doesn't come before then so i had this hashtag that just said you know my razor's on sabbatical hashtag let it grow 
There you go. Yeah, not, See, not I, that I great, don't, though. I don't even know when the last time I used a hashtag was because I don't really, other than those pictures that I put up from uh, Logos those first of the days, I don't actually really use hashtags very much. I think they're kind of, I don't know, they're kind of annoying. Maybe that's my, that's like my rebellion against uh, against what they represent. But the last one I used was uh, I put up a, an image of Psalm fifty one seventeen, which says, "The sacrifices of God a broken are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise." And um, the hashtag that I wrote doesn't actually make any sense, so I'm assuming I must have been typing it on my phone and I just <laughs> typoed it because it says, "We will not despise," and I think it's supposed to say, "He will not despise." I noticed so. that, but I thought you were just applying the scriptures. Like hermeneutically, no. in like a place where you're saying, like, not only will he not despise, but we will not despise the fact that he will not despise. Here's one that I actually used. Um, the the tweet says, "Covenant of redemption is a mutual agreement, not a followed command," and the hashtag is "We affirm against ESS." So there's like this controversy going on in mostly in reform circles about the nature of the relationship of the Father and the Son before uh, time, before you know, in the ad intra Trinity. Um, and so there's been this big conflict. And so I tweeted that at a couple people on the anti-ESS side, which is the correct side. Um, we also call that Nicene Christianity. Um, and so I use that hashtag. Uh, I don't think anybody else has used it, but I was trying to start a movement, I think. Let yeah, me just say that your it. hashtags are way more spiritual than mine. And then I also <laughs> did, this one was good. I um, I retweeted something that Liam Goliger, or Goliger, I don't know how to pronounce it. He had, he had tweeted something um, about eternal generation. And then I tweet, I retweeted that and added my own thing. And then he retweeted the thing I retweeted. So I just retweeted it with the hashtag retweetception. <laughs> so there's nothing that makes for better podcasting than like actual Twitter play by play, which we just, just provided. Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't, why don't we get into our time? I mean, we're kind of already in our topic a little bit, but we're talking about like technology tonight. Yeah, and it's been on my mind because I've always been kind of processing, you know, you and I were talking that one of the interesting things about technology, especially personal technology, is this movement now in some ways away from technology or having like regular rest or recognizing or trying to recognize what it does to us, how it's impacting culture and society. And my feeling is I think we're out of depth in these waters, honestly, because we don't really have a good sense of what this kind of connectivity is doing to us. And so I was just kind of curious where you're at on that. And what are your thoughts? How do you use technology, especially like personal technology in your daily life? And uh, how does that relate with your relationships and with God and uh, with your walk of faith? Yeah. So I, um, I am what you might call an early adopter. So I love having the newest tech. Um, so I always want to have the newest phone, um, I always want to be checking out the newest apps. Um, if there's a new way to do something with technology, I always want to be on the front end of uh, front edge of it. Um, I'm also poor, so I don't necessarily have the newest tech, but I really wish I did. Um, which in itself can kind of present, you know, sort of a challenge is um, where does the line become? Uh, where does the line fall? Where I'm no longer just wanting to, you know, experience this good stuff that we've got and fall into coveting. So that's kind of an ongoing struggle is looking at, you know, looking at someone else's phone or even just looking at the kind of the newest, greatest phone um, and thinking, man, I really want that. Um, I happen to have a new phone, not because I, you know, because I needed a new phone or not because I like had to have it, but 
I, I, my other phone, I dropped it so many times that pieces of glass were falling out of the screen and it was time for an upgrade. So, um, you know, I, I think it's important to ex, you know exercise self-control, especially since some of these, these devices can end up being so expensive. Um, for sure. And, and the companies that you're buying, especially if you're buying like contracted phones, um, they mask it in so many different ways that you don't realize that you're buying a $750 phone. Um, and, and that's just kind of, you know, that's the, the world we live in and you have to find ways to, to mitigate that. Um, but as far as like how, um, I use technology, I'm always trying to be aware of how technology is hurting me and how technology is helping me. So for example, um, I mentioned last week that I use Logos, which is a Bible software and, um, I'm able to do quick searches and find information that I never in a million years would have been able to find on my own before that. Um, and that's very helpful to have kind of at your fingertips. But at the same time, you know, you read somebody like John Calvin and he didn't have this technology. And what I've realized in a lot of ways is like this technology is sort of uh, handicapped us a little bit is that being able to, uh, you know, I use it a lot when I'm trying to read Greek. Um, I'm, I haven't kept up on my Greek since seminary and, and college as much as I should. And so I'm trying to like parse a verb. And so instead of, you know, taking the time to really like think about it and parse it, I just hover over it and it tells me what it is. Where someone like Calvin or even just 30 years ago or 20 years ago or, I, you know, like 10 years ago, um, that kind of technology didn't exist. And I think that's something we have to recognize with technology is that no matter what it is, it's going to help us in some ways, but it's also probably going to cripple us in other ways. So, um, for example, you know, just a real kind of base level example, the earliest Christian um, communities had scrolls and these scrolls were written in what's called uncial text. So it's all capitalized Greek letters with no punctuation and no spaces. And um, one of the reasons that that was helpful is you kind of have to read it out loud in order to kind of get at what is um, on the text. If you just look at it, it's really hard to like see where the words break up. But if you're reading it out loud, it's a lot easier. Um, so they had to read it slowly and they had to process it out loud. Um, you know, then along comes, um, you know, a couple couple iterations later and we've got what's called a codex or a codices. Um, and that's what we know as a book. It's just a bound book. And that really helped because you could carry, you know, you could take these, um, these scrolls and you could flatten them out and you can carry them in this sort of bound tome and uh, you could carry them with you and you could access things quicker and you could find stuff a lot faster. But with that came um, sort of this, uh, this ability to sort of find things quickly and you don't have to hunt and search and know things as well if you have an index to find them. So I find that to be the case with a lot of technology is, is it both helps you and hurts you. And so I'm always trying to be aware of how does this help me how can it possibly hurt me, and how do I mitigate? Um, how do I mitigate that handicap a, a little bit? So you know, do I do I do things to intentionally draw me out of my technology? So I I like paper books. I don't read ebooks as much as some people do, and that's because um, your brain has to read and process in a different way on a, on a piece of paper than it does when you're just flipping through a screen. And that for me helps kind of keep me into that. Um, it kind of helps mitigate some of the destructive things that happen with eBooks um, as far as like not processing things and not remembering what you're reading as much. Yeah. I often forget that technology comes in so many forms and there's parts of technology that we now consider 
just so ubiquitous that we forget that they were in fact at one point novel. So of course, even just being able to pick up a pencil and a piece of paper and to write down an idea or a thought or keep a list, which at one point in time didn't exist or just oral tradition going away. And even many of the, you know, the Stoics kind of argued that that was going to be the downfall of civilization because just being able to write any, any kind of common language was going to make you know, all forms of memorization absolutely, absolutely moot. I mean, I've been really impressed or with the idea that technology for me, even just having like the, like a smartphone, which by the way is your smartphone that you gave me because you, <laughs> you used a different, you were getting a different phone, which I appreciate and love by the way. Um, and doesn't like start a fire in my pocket. I'm like, yes, you know, it doesn't explode of, on the air. Yeah, so perhaps it should go without saying that like, that is one of the real risks evidently of technology is it just exploding in your pocket or getting you thrown yeah. off a plane. That would be unfortunate. That would be very unfortunate. Um, shout out to Samsung. We should get a sponsorship, or maybe not. Just, just for ironically, me. the phone that I just got is a Samsung. So yeah, all right. Um, it's a it's an S seven Edge, so it's not the Note seven uh, Explosion Edition. Um, <laughs> hopefully, this one doesn't have any issues. <laughs> this phone, for some reason, the idea of like this phone will self destruct after you read this text just yes, came into my mind. Exactly, it's like a real possibility. So just with the smartphone by itself, just that piece of technology, in my own life, I've been so surprised at how that's been a mirror in a way that it doesn't, it's almost as if the technology is neutral, but it draws out of your heart the things that are in there. I don't think that it necessarily makes me a different person, but it helps me to see the person I really am. Either that I'm very distracted or I'm preoccupied with certain things. Yeah. Or I, I just want to be by myself and I don't want to be interacting with others aside from the screen, which mediates in a lot of different ways. So have you ever ex- experienced that? Yeah. I mean, they, they've done some studies on um, kind of like how people experience the world. So it used to be like if you wanted to take a picture, you had like a limited number of photos you could take. So if you were going on vacation, you were limited by how much film you could carry and, you know, you had to be really intentional with your shots because you only had so many and you might take, if something was really important, you might take two pictures because you don't want to miss it and you can't see what it looks like and all these different things. And now people walk around with their phones out taking pictures constantly. And, you know, I, I don't know if you remember the Google Glass project a couple yeah. of years back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a really cool idea. And, and what Google was going to do is they were going to try to make this wearable technology that's, I, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but basically it displayed certain images on a pair of glasses that you wore and it would track your eye movement uh, in order to sort of see how, what you were doing to, to interact with it. And their goal was to um, sort of make that mediation so automatic that it stopped interfering. So instead of having to like get out your phone and open up a photo app and all this stuff, you would just say, take photo and the Google glass would respond and take a photo of what you're looking at. Um, and, and so they've done these studies that the way people interact with the phone or with the world is really sort of like through their phones now, through their smartphones, um, in a, in a way they're kind of never really experiencing reality because they're in everything they're seeing is through the screen of their phone, even if they're, you know, with a person right in front of them. Um, which, you know, our phones are incredibly powerful tools. Um, you know, Ashley and I were in Hanover, which is a town near us. It's a college town near us. And, um, which you obviously know, but some of our listeners probably don't. Um, and we were waiting to go to a movie 
And we saw there was a, a group of Jehovah's Witnesses on the corner and they were passing out literature. And um, we took the opportunity to go up and engage them. And I was able, you know, they would say something and I was able to quickly look up the Greek on my phone and to be able to point out to them and say, well, no, what, what you just said is not accurate of the Greek text and here's why. Um, and be able to show them, you know, right on my phone, um, I don't carry a Greek New Testament around with me in my pocket, but I have it right on my phone. So it's a really powerful tool. But at the same time, um, you know, one thing that I've really struggled with in my just in my life um, is putting the phone down. So there are times when and, and I, you know, we, there's all sorts of reasons why this starts to happen for me. Um, when I first got a cell phone, both my parents were fairly ill. And so um I felt like I constantly had to have my phone on me and turned on and volume up and everything in case that call came where I needed to rush off to the hospital or I needed to talk to somebody, you know, before they're going in for surgery. And that became a habit that I had to have my phone on me and had to be turned on. I couldn't ever turn it off. If the battery died, I had to make sure I found a charger and all this stuff. Um, and so for me, like learning to put the phone down and to put it away, um, so um, my dad died just a, uh, just a year ago, and um, it was the first time after he you know after he died for the first time I started leaving my phone um, upstairs in the parsonage when I would go to church instead of having it in my pocket, and it was just because for me there was that freedom that I had now to not feel tethered to that phone as much, but there's still like a habit that's built in that like I'm constantly checking my phone I'm constantly wanting to see what's going on on Facebook and that's been a real kind of struggle that. You know, I wouldn't say it's caused problems in my marriage, but it's a source of conflict at times to try to say like, all right, I've got to put my phone down. I've got to pay attention to my wife or, um, you know, I'll, I'll get up in the morning and I'm taking care of the dog and Ash will come around the corner and there's a spot on the floor where the dog peed and she goes, what, what happened? And I was looking at my phone and I didn't notice that the dog has been sitting over by the door waiting to go out, doing everything right. we've taught her to do. Um, you know, it's not her fault that I didn't, I wasn't paying attention, so I can't chastise her. Um, but you know, I, I can't, I can't blame anyone but myself when that happens. So it's a constant, I mean, it's a constant struggle. And I, I think our phones are kind of like this sort of like focal point because all, all of our technology really has been distilled down into this, this thing that we carry in our pockets with right. us everywhere. And so, you know, every struggle that we have with, um, with our, with our technology really kind of like our phones are a microcosm of that. Yeah. I think that for my own life, I feel that same way. Sometimes I'm trying to get better at just being able to take as lame as it may sound like a Sabbath from the phone itself when it's appropriate, because I worry that distractedness is the antithesis of contentedness. Yeah. So that when I'm sitting down with my wife and we're just watching TV, it seems so natural to like be watching a movie and supposedly enjoying each other's company, but everybody's got devices as well. And we can't just be in the moment and really enjoying the gifts that God gives us in an undistracted manner. And that's difficult. I think, I think that takes some discipline. And I think that as children of God, we are called to a higher standard with how we interact with technology, at least to be very aware of it, especially because we're called for to to undertake these seasons of fasting in various capacities and of rest and meditation. And again, in my own life, and obviously I can only speak for, for me, there I find that it's so much easier to jump on Twitter than it is to pray. And that just gives me pause to say, it's not that Twitter's bad. And, and like you said, I'm glad what you brought up about using the technology in a, in a redemptive way, in a sense, by using it as a resource 
And there's all kinds of stories of that as well. So I'm not certainly saying we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. But just being mindful is difficult because it is so strange how powerful the smartphone has become for everybody, how, how habitual it is. And yet you're right, like there's so much being written now about how destructive it is, aside from just the aspects of spirituality, but just in terms of productivity and distractedness. I've seen many articles recently that are really interesting about just notifications by themselves yeah. and how your mind takes a certain amount of time to focus on a concept. So there's no such thing as multitasking, allegedly, and that your mind actually exhausts itself by continually jumping from one task to the other. And of course, notifications just create this pattern of you constantly having to turn over your mind. And so you're losing all this focus. I've seen that translate into like raw dollars. I mean, it's just crazy. So it's almost as if we're all recognizing that we're on the cusp of something that's not really profitable for us. And yet all along, God in his infinite judgment and wisdom has given to us because of course he created the human condition. So he knows it so well. These signposts, these guideposts, these fences to say like, here's where you should seek rest. Here's where you need to be seeking meditation in me for both fulfillment and for both having just, you know, peace of mind, peace of heart. Yeah. And I think that like the notification thing is it it really, you can really become a slave to like your technology through these notifications. So like, for example, I, I, I set, I originally did it to try to save battery life. But the Facebook app on your smartphone um, is a ridiculous battery hog because it's constantly <laughs> checking for notifications. And so I originally turned it off. Oh, I turned Facebook. off the notifications because I was having battery problems. And all of a sudden, it was like I realized like, whoa, there's like peace. There's like peace in my life for this moment because I'm not constantly getting Facebook notifications. And I, I'm an I'm an administrator in in the Reform Pub Facebook group, which I, I think is like 14,000 plus people now. And so there's a fairly constant stream of not just things that are happening in the Facebook group, but conversations that we're having as a moderator group. So I go to sleep at night um, and I wake up and there's 150 notifications from the moderator group of things that are going on because we've got moderators in other countries. Um, and then on top of that, we have like a, a non, uh, non-admin it's an admin group, but it's not for discussing problems in the pub. It's just for us to chat. And there's a hundred notifications in there. And then there's, you know, 25 notifications of friends that have posted and it really can like control your life. So I would say like, if we're, you know, if we're talking about like practical things you can do, turn off your Facebook notifications on your phone, Amen. Um, shut it, shut it off. And um, you'll see, it's like a crazy big difference. And it's funny because, you know, we, we've got our um, Pamela Landy family, uh, Google Hangouts messenger thing that we use. And um, so I've got my phone, I've got my iPad. Sometimes I'm sitting at my computer Ashley has got her phone and Ashley's got sitting at her computer at the kitchen table and we're working on stuff and we'll get a, we'll get a message from somebody and it's like, bing, 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 bing. there's like <laughs> things going off all over the place. And, and there are times where I actually am like, I'm like, I'm going to leave this thing because I'm, I'll be like mowing the lawn and I got my headphones in and I like the music is stopping every like five seconds. Cause you and Ashley have a conversation. Um, <laughs> And I'm sure that like that kind of stuff happens to everybody. And, it, it, you know, we have to like be cognizant of what this technology is doing to us. So yeah, for sure, um, I don't know the last time you tried to have like a, an ongoing conversation with uh, someone under the age of like 22 years old. Um, 
but it can be like painful at times because they like Twitter and tech text messaging um, to not, not even so much Twitter anymore. Twitter's kind of like past past vogue for a lot of these younger kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this short snapshot communication, um, it's actually changing their brains. It's changing the way they think. And they're, they're starting to realize that like this kind of like 144 character communication that really started with text messaging and then got carried over to Twitter. Um, kids can't string together sentences anymore. They can't string together logical, complex paragraphs anymore. Um, and so a lot of like teachers in the you know high schools and stuff are really struggling to figure out like how do we teach this generation? Um, it's not just a you know it's not just a, a learning issue. It's like a brain development issue that um, their brains can't process longer than 140 you know that's a bit of an exaggeration but not that much of an exaggeration they can't string together these these long lines of thought um and it's starting to you know we're we're getting what was it like the graduating class this last year has never known a world without the internet right Um, and it's starting to show up on things like sat scores and college entrance essays um and you know it's really it really is kind of destructive if you don't realize it's happening how crazy is it that just turning off Facebook notifications on your phone can bring you that much more peace? I mean, isn't that seriously. wild? It's, it's, it's wild. seriously a crazy, crazy thing. Um, and, you know, just like another practical thing, um, I, you know, I work in the transplant department and I, I share an office with one of the coordinators um, who's a, a nurse. And there was one day that, you know, her email, I could hear her email going off every like like 30 seconds she was getting another email and I could just see she was getting frustrated and I could see that she wasn't getting the work done she needed to do because every time that notification went off, she felt like she had to, you know, respond right away. She had to, she had to respond to the email. And really what it does is your, your notifications dictate your workflow, not any sort of like coherent logical order. And so I just said, you know what, shut down your email. You know, everybody has your phone number. If there's some kind right, of emergency, exactly. someone will call you, um, you know, or set set your email so it only updates every 30 minutes instead of instantly. Um, there's a lot of real practical things you can do to kind of break that cycle that I think we don't necessarily talk about as much as we should. I'm pretty sure, I can't find it, but I'm pretty sure that Spurgeon had some kind of quote about turning off notifications. About, I just can't find about it About text right messaging? Now. Yeah, I just can't find it Yeah, right it was like, um, if, if you're given the choice between text messaging and Twitter, choose neither. Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's exactly as I remember it. Hashtag beards are best. <laughs> Hashtag. Yeah. I've been trying. So I work in finance and I know there's plenty of people who have jobs where it's really difficult to be away from your email or you need to be on call. And I don't mean like in like the life and death sense, but you need to be aware like when your boss or, or colleague sends you something so you can respond to it right away or, or work on it or you're working with a client. But I totally agree, and I've been trying this a little bit more and more, is to basically like go into work, sit down and tackle some email in the morning, and then shut that sucker down until like midday, yeah. and then come back up to it. Or at least like I've read, don't even open your email if you're not prepared to actually respond to people. But right. I love this idea of like compartmentalizing and being disciplined about it. And there is a lot of strange freedom in that, a lot more than you would be like you would probably think on the surface. And that to me just is, like strikes me as totally wild. Like how amazing this is that things like notifications and alerts can be such a thing that leads us into like all this like kind of slave ship all of a sudden like that we're, yeah. we're enslaved to it and we had no idea it was such a big deal. And it seems like such a small thing. Like I just let my phone buzz when somebody wants me and I'll just check it real quick. 
right and how that can become like a monster all its own i guess it just show, goes to show you that like technology is a great tool but like a horrible master and i have to wonder if it's very like where where is the line this is gonna sound ridiculous but where is the line between where you know we're quick to say like we can't serve god and money like where we say we can't serve god and technology like you can't be that connected yeah. and still be serving well like is there a line somewhere for that well, I mean, I think on some level, you can make anything into an idol. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, and so I think you can definitely turn technology into an idol. So um, I I go back and forth, for example, as to whether I'm going to use my iPad as my Bible during church or whether I'm going to use my iPad to take notes during church. And um, every once in a while... I'll just decide like I'm going to go a week where I go to church without my iPad and I'm just going to use a paper Bible. And the reason is because, um, you know, there's no easy way on your iPad to still have internet access, but turn off all of your notifications. Not that I've discovered. Um, some, some Christian app developer should, should get on that right now. So, some app that allows you to turn off every notification for an, an indefinite period of time um, during church that that should be an app um, but that's because these companies don't want you to turn off your notifications because that's how they get you in you know involved right, exactly. in the product um, so I, I have the choice to turn off my internet because if I turn off my internet I'm not getting notifications on my iPad um, but then some of the stuff that I use my my iPad for during church like looking up other verses or um, every once in a while I'll want to look up a Greek term or something like that that is in the text that I you know I just want to track down while I'm looking at it um, I can't do that if the internet's turned off. So, you know, every once in a while, I'll just grab my paper Bible and I'll take it downstairs instead of using my iPad. And for me, that's just a way to to remember, like, the church existed for 2,000 years without iPads, right? Um, you know, we don't have to have this technology to get by. And like I said earlier, like, there's good reason to believe that some of this technology is making us weaker. So right, I would exactly. love to memorize scripture more than I do, but one of the, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that I, I don't do well at memorizing scripture is because I never need to memorize scripture right. because it's always at hand. Um, and, and, you know, if there ever comes a day where, like, there are no more Bibles available, like, I think we're in big trouble because in previous generations, you know, you get together – the, the senior pastors of all the churches in the area, you know, if you, you grab Calvin and Luther and Zwingli and put them in a room, they could probably put together pretty much the whole New Testament from memory if they needed to. Um, but you're not going to find that with anyone that I know. Um, people who memorize large portions of the Bible are just, they're an oddity um, and they, they don't exist very much. And so I think like we have to be aware of the fact that like Christians have done just fine without some of this technology um, for thousands of years now. And we, we are going to be just fine if we put it down for, for a Sunday or if we put it down permanently. Um, you know, if, if I was in a church where I felt that my having my iPad was going to be a, a distraction or a stumbling block to other people around me, um, or if it came to my attention that it was, that iPad's staying at home. It's staying upstairs the next Sunday, and it's not coming back out. Um, and I think that's where, like, your question comes to bear is, are we willing to give up our technology and to sacrifice our technology or, you know, just to temporarily not use it or whatever it is if we recognize that it's becoming a hindrance to our walk with God or a hindrance to the people around us? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times Christians will say, like, well, you know, it doesn't distract me at all, but... Um, you know, if other people see 
that you're you've got notifications coming up does right. that distract them is that something you need to you know is that something you even thought about right definitely if you're listening to this and you're a coder or programmer hit us up if you want to be involved in this new application we're developing called idle blocker which blocks yes. all of your notifications yes. but keeps all bible bible apps active so you can still of course read the scriptures but yeah that would be even another step where you could you could uh tell the program what hours you're in church and then it would block your exactly. access to other apps it'd be like a like pastoral guidance or uh like pastoral guidance instead of parental guidance like you could give your pastor pastoral access guidance. and then he could he could <laughs> determine what apps you can use and when you can use them yeah, and it should like automatically filter searches and like provide like creedal information depending on the links that you're hovering over, all that kind of stuff. You yeah. know, like if depending on how you feel about, you know, like the first and second commandments, you can block out all images of, of yeah. Jesus, like that kind of thing. I love it. Seriously. Yeah, we, we need to get on it. But that's why I think that for most of us, quite honestly, that's why I said the thing about us being out of depth in these waters. I think most people aren't thinking like a lot about what you just said that the effects of this are far reaching and we just don't really even know what they are. And maybe the first step is just sitting down and thinking through a little bit how we use technology. I liked your idea of saying, it's okay for you to say, I'm just not going to use it in this instance. And that's totally yeah. all right. Or even if you say like, I'm going to, like you said, I like that too. Like I'm, I'm literally going to sacrifice it. I'm going to lay it on the altar of, of prayer or of focus or of being a better active listener in church. Because the bottom line is, if I have the iPad in church and I can get internet, it's just like, speaking about temptation, like almost too big of a temptation not to flip yeah. over real quick and like just see what Facebook or just see email or just see Twitter. Even if you're thinking like, well, I'm still listening to what the pastor's saying. And I'm just going to yeah, flip well, over real quick. And you'll find ways to justify it. Like that happens once in a while where like a notification will pop up and I'll try, I'll go to like swipe it away and instead of swiping it away, I accidentally click on it and then the app comes up and like it's a battle to like close the app down and go back to what I was doing sometimes. So like that, like I said, like these notifications, if you think that the notifications pop up on the screen where they do and the way they do um, by like a quirk of fate, then you are just it's it's naive to think that like every aspect of that device is planned out. Right. So the fact that it's annoying that you very commonly uh, accidentally tap it and open the notification instead of swiping it away, that's on purpose. They do that to you on purpose because they want you to open the notification. So like some of it too is like recognizing that um, just like when you think about like advertisers, everything that your phone does is designed to draw you into needing your phone more. It's they're trying to create a dependency. And I, I sound like a weird conspiracy theorist right now. And, and I'm not, but like the phone manufacturers are trying to create a, a real felt need for this phone. Um, that's why when you see like a commercial for an iPhone, it's not just like, well, this phone makes phone calls and you can also take photographs. And on top of photographs, there's a library of apps of it. Like it's not this dispassionate thing. Right. It's, it's a kid skateboarding in the rain, making a video or it's a, you know, it's a baby. It's a, a father taking pictures of his baby for the first time. And those things are great. And you you know, I'm going, man, I wish that I had a phone to take care of my puppy. You know, I take photos of my puppy all the time. Um, they're building this emotional investment. So so much of this, I think, is just being aware and like being self-reflective. Like as as Christians, I think we should be some of the most self-aware people. 
um, especially as Reformed Christians, like we, the first thing that reform, the first thing a person affirms usually when they're becoming a Reformed Christian is how terribly sinful we are. Like total depravity is the first thing that someone looks at and goes, yeah, that makes sense to me. Right, exactly. Um, but at the same time, we'll pick up our phone and we'll be like, that's eh, no big deal. Like I'm, it's neutral and I'm neutral. So the phone's neutral. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not looking at porn on my phone. So how could it possibly be not healthy for me to use? It's like, well, first of all, that's a good way for you to fall into porn is to carry your phone around with you everywhere and to have like unlimited universal access. Like those are serious things that you, you know, if you're a man, you need to have a discussion with your wife about what kind of safeguards you're going to put in place. Um, what kinds of things, um, you know, what kinds of things are necessary. So Ashley has the password to my phone. She has the password to all my accounts. So the second that she suspects something, which, it, you know, there's no reason to, but if she ever did, she would be able to check that very straightforward. Um, not that I'm, I have nothing to hide from my wife. And so why would I need to have a password that she can't get through? And the same is true the other direction. I have the passwords to all of her accounts. So that can be accountability on all sorts of levels. Um, and, you know, maybe if, if it's something you struggle with, then you need to talk about other people having passwords to your accounts or other people being able to see what you're browsing online. It's definitely worth investigating and taking some real honest soul searching for because I think that it's so ubiquitous now that we just think it's really not that big a deal. But I, yeah, for my own life, I just get concerned that it's so easy for so much time to get sucked up in technology and all its different facets, whether it be the phone or YouTube or Facebook or Twitter. I mean, you can sit down thinking like you're going to check something for like two minutes. And then honestly, like how many people have you ever had the, the instance where like 45 minutes later, you're like, oh my yeah. gosh, I've just, I've just literally just blown through all this time, like looking at random stuff. It's not even like cat videos. I mean, you're searching through, right. you're just double clicking through all kinds of things. Um, because I'm definitely not hanging out watching cat videos, but I think the <laughs> the internet can just be like a huge time vortex. And I just think at, so many of us complain like I just don't have the time to spend in in the Word or in the Scriptures or my my prayer closet, my prayer life is just so shallow because I'm so busy. And yet yeah. we are also the same people like just trolling on Facebook um, right. whenever whenever we want. So again, I, I don't. I'm not saying, and I don't think you are either, that these things are wrong. They can be wrong, and they very quickly can become idols. And I, I think that's probably in our culture right now. I'd say the phone is the biggest idol. The phone yeah. and connectedness and social media can quickly become an idol. There are many people who handle it so well. And you're right. We as Christians should really be at the top of that. We should be living balanced lives, using it for redemptive purposes, for encouragement. And I, you know, I sometimes think, man, I bet like the disciples, the apostles, we'd love to live in this area for the sense of connectedness, love to live in this time rather for the sense of connectedness and whether or not we really do that a disservice by the way in which we sometimes use it in such a shallow way. But there's a lot of good that can be, that comes out of technology, but we need to pay particular attention to how we use it and what we're using it for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think too, like, we should also recognize the tremendous potential of this technology um, and then actually utilize that potential. Yes. So, so um, 
you know, a lot of times I think we're quick to look at a new technology and be like, wow, you know, you could really preach the gospel with that. But then no one ever does. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and yeah. we use that as like an excuse to like justify why I've got to have this or that or the other thing is, is we say, well, you know, if I had that phone, I could, you know, I could use it as a ministry tool. And then you get the phone and you spend most of your time, you know, playing Crossy Roads or some stupid game or you're checking right. out Facebook. Um, that's not to say, like, there's no value in using your phone for entertainment or using your phone um, to interact with people online. I mean, obviously, like, you're listening to this podcast probably on your phone. <laughs> so, like, we can't – we're obviously not saying, like, throw your phone in the garbage or you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be able to hear what we have to say. Right. Only um, after you've downloaded this episode, then feel free right, to throw right. it Right, right. Yeah, and then, like, inscribed it onto, like, a stone tablet because, <laughs> you know, that was, like, the original technology. But – um you know, recognizing some of the and, – and, like, this is the other thing, too, is, like, there are really innovative things that are happening where people are using technology in ways that the, the developers of the technology didn't intend. But people are able to find new ways to use this technology and to combine technologies. Um, you know, the latest thing in, in kind of phone technology is this augmented reality stuff, you know, Pokemon Go, which is, like, a silly thing. It's just a game. But, you know, it's it's – they're doing these things where like they're actually able to allow you to see reality in a new way through your phone. And I, I'm, I'm not a terribly innovative guy in terms of technology, but I can imagine a scenario where like churches could set up an augmented reality app, which would allow them to preach the gospel. Right. So, you know, just spitballing this out. If you're an app developer, go ahead and, and steal my idea. I'm totally fine with that. But what if a church had developed a, like a door-to-door -door campaign, right? And every member in the church has their phone and, you know, the different information that is being pushed out to the members as far as like, well, we, we visited this person two days ago, so don't go to their door. Or this person said that they don't want visitors from our church, so don't go to their door. So instead of trying to keep track of it on a big chart or piece of paper or something, I hold my phone up and it knows where I am. It knows which direction I'm facing. And I look at it and it says, um, someone from your church visited three days ago. They request we don't come back. Great. I'll move on to the next one. So like a door-to-door -door missions app that uses augmented reality. Like there's different kinds of things that we can do with this technology that I don't think we realize. Um, and so I think that's something we should really, as, as Christians, we've lagged behind the culture in some of these ways in figuring out how to use um, this technology that comes from God, right? These are common grace blessings that yeah, God has absolutely. blessed humanity with um, that we as a church are not utilizing in many cases. Absolutely. Yeah, and I don't think we're obviously trying to make ourselves or anybody else feel guilty about the way that they do use it, but just to it's just a call to elevation, I guess, to rise up yeah. and think about how we use it. That's a pretty good idea off the cuff for like some augmented reality like witnessing action. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, it's Pokemon Go, but with, with witnessing. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, I just have this like this strange image popped in my head of like a phone and somebody's like, Oh, there's an unbeliever. Let me catch them real quick. Right. And right. What, whatever that, I don't nothing about Pokemon go. So I don't know what the ball things are that you use to catch, but poke, they call pokeballs. Oh, they're okay. real creative with their language. <laughs> yeah. They're called pokeballs and there's pokestops and poke gems. So all, they, pe they just... all people are ever going to remember from this episode is that we are basically like catch the unbelievers in gospel balls right. or whatever. Yeah. But I mean like, this is going to, I'm going to get, somebody's going to write me some hate mail about how terrible the ex-Jesus on this is. But like, when you think about how Christ, 
he approached Peter and he approached John and he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So he took what they were already doing and he communicated to them what their mission was by using language they were familiar with. Mm -hmm. So in in some ways, it's kind of like saying, like, you got to catch them all. Right. You got to use you got to use what you have. Right. (laughs) So that's like the that's the mission slogan of this new app is is uh, we can call it like Pokemon missions. Got to catch them all. But like seriously though, like we don't we don't think about the different ways that these these uh, these new technologies um, can work. So like virtual assistants, they have they they've got a lot of these new apps. Google just came out with this app called Google Trips, um, and I'm really excited to the, like the next time I take a trip to check this out. But basically, what you do is you tell it like you can load all of your like reservations for where you're going. You can load like um, you can search the area and like like star different things, and then you can actually like plan out your day and download all of that to your phone, so it's all already embedded in in your phone. So you don't need internet access. You don't need any of that. And then it'll give you directions. It'll keep track of everything, so you can just not have to worry about all that stuff that normally took your mental energy. You can really take that mental energy for what you're doing. So think about like a situation um, that that might apply to the church in where we can develop this app that helps you, um, you know, some, actually some apologetics apps are doing kind of similar things where like you can type in a question that an atheist or a, another religion just asked you and it'll search the database and, and pull up an apologetic answer for you. Now, I'm not going to say that like reading an apologetic answer off your phone is the best, best methodology. Um, but if you get in a pinch, you know, you're in a discussion with a coworker and they say, well, have you ever thought about this? And you go, well, geez, I haven't, I haven't ever thought about that. And you know, you kind of use your, well, let me think about that and I'll do a little bit of research. I'll get back to you. When you go on your lunch break, you use your app, you find some, you know, find some information, you go back and talk to them. Um, so being aware of what's out there is really important and being able to like uh, make the best use of what you have available, um, not only for like your own personal productivity, but for like gospel productivity and kingdom productivity. That's a really good way to say that. Yeah. Using it for gospel productivity, kingdom productivity. And you're right. It's almost, it seems to me a bit like, you remember like the story or the developmental period of like Christian contemporary music. There was a period yeah. where everybody kind of considered it like a subgenre. It was really hokey. And I have to wonder if maybe that's in some ways where we are with technology. There's there's a lot of great and creative applications technology for like that kingdom productivity, but we're definitely not there yet. And it takes all of us thinking about that, how we can use yeah. it and leverage it in a new way. By the way, I just looked up this Google Trips app and it's pretty killer actually. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Cool. And this this would be a thing that would be a blessing to you because I could easily see myself wanting to plan a fun trip for my wife and I. And putting all the details here, it gives you suggestions, of course, for things in the area, helps you put all those things together. And then this this is going to allow you to enjoy a special time with somebody in a really focused way and help you plan an experience that you might not otherwise have been able to plan because you lack right. the information or ignorant to the options available. I think that's great. Again, I think that's a wonderful way to use it in a way that's uh, pretty redemptive. So, yeah. so speaking of, of technology, I'm just going to put you on the spot, Tony. What's one app everybody should have on their phone that you like in particular besides oh. Pokemon Go? I don't actually have Pokemon Go anymore. Um, I mean, I think I think on on a phone you should have a Bible app. Um, I think that you know the the Bible is a blessing that God has given the church. Um, he didn't have to give us a Bible. He could have planned. 
um, Christianity to operate exclusively on oral tradition and things like that. But he gave us this blessing. You know, the Westminster Confession talks about how um, the revelation of God has been recorded in a more certain way. And um, the fact that Christians can have that in their pocket um, and be able to search and read and really plumb the depths of Scripture anywhere they are, I just think I, I can't understand why a Christian wouldn't take advantage of that. So I think every, you know, there's a bunch of different Bible apps that are available. Um, I use Logos, but that's mostly because I inherited your sister's Logos library that she had from Bible college. So I've got a bunch of extra resources that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, But I talked about last week how you can develop reading plans and things like that. Um, Olive Tree makes good Bible software. I haven't used it much, but I've heard really good things about it. And there's a lot of different apps that are available. Um, So a good Bible app is probably one that I would say everybody should have. Another app that I I just really couldn't live without, um, and I I say that in like the most, uh, well, not the most literal sense, because that's obviously (laughs) I can live without it. But like something that I use on a daily basis is Evernote. Um, Evernote is just a note-taking app, but it's really versatile um, and it's fully searchable, which is really important to me. So the way that I use it is if I hear a quote that I really like or if I am surfing the web and I find a blog that I really like, I dump it into Evernote. And what it's doing over time is it's creating this searchable database of everything that I interact with um, in terms of Christian reading, videos I find on YouTube, um, quotes out of books I'm reading. Everything is searchable. Um, and I just think it's a really good tool that we can have. So if I get in a discussion with somebody about the Trinity and they are leaning towards modalism, I can pull up a quote by Herman Bovink and find the page number and the full citation in about 30 seconds rather than searching through a big book thinking, well, I think it was around 280 and, you know, I can just search for the keywords that I know and find it instantly. Um, so I think that's a really valuable thing for Christians to have as well. I actually use the Olive Tree application, and that is pretty great. It's fantastic. The out, yeah. the layout is fantastic. It looks very much like a, a standard Bible. I, I find it to be one of the most readable and easy to use. So you took like all the good ones. Like first of all, you dropped the Bible one, which I I've, ashamedly wasn't even thinking about like a Bible application right off the top. Yeah. Um, but that's great. I would say one I would recommend is basically your recommendation anyway, because it's one that you introduced me to, <laughs> but it's like intensely practical. And I do think it's really useful. And that is life 360, which allows yes. you to create a network among family or friends where you give each other mutual permission to basically see where you're at on a geographic map. And that's great for just being able to keep track of where you are. And I think it would be even more useful for a family, especially if you have, or you're all going in different yeah. directions and you have children with phones, it'd be fantastic. And not just for the sake of accountability of knowing where they're at, um, but it also has all these great like safety features that if you are in trouble, you can immediately contact everybody that's in your little group, which I think is fantastic. But I use it with my wife all the time because even as something simple as if she's out running errands, it's great to have a sense of where she's at if I want to check and yep. see how things are going without just having to text her. So yeah. that's fantastic. So in wrapping up technology, because we're all about that in the sense of how we deliver this medium. How can people get in touch with us, Tony, if they want to? Sure. So uh, you can use Twitter to tweet at us at Reform Brotherhood. Uh, it's Twitter is at Reform Brohood. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, we have a page which doesn't get much activity. We don't really use it, but it's there. Uh, but we have a Facebook group that we you can actually interact with us. Um, we are at like 99 people. So we're hoping to break that 100 mark. Uh, hopefully after this episode launches, um, you can also follow us on uh, Google Plus. 
which we have two Google Plus followers. <laughs> I don't even know how to interact with them on Google Plus. Um, I don't know when the last time you logged into Google Plus is, but it's like a totally different platform than it used to be. I don't even be. have an account, so I don't have. Well, everybody who's Google got Google Gmail Plus. has an account, so you've got to you've got a Google Plus account. Um, it used to be like a weird Facebook kind of knockoff, and now it's totally different. I don't have any clue how to actually use it. Uh, you can also email us at reformedbrotherhood uh, at gmail.com. Uh, that's probably the best way to get a hold of us if you've got like a question you want us to answer on the show or feedback or something like that. Um, and we also have a Patreon website. Patreon is a platform that you can uh, pledge to support us with a monthly donation. Um, and basically you can say you want to give us $1 or you want to give us $10 a month. And uh, that will help us to pay for some of the costs that will probably uh, start to incur uh, if this grows a little bit. So if you wanted to help us out there, that would be awesome. And last but not least, um, if you are listening to this through a website or through some other medium where you're not subscribed, uh, you can find us on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or anywhere else that you can uh, subscribe to podcasts. Um, and anywhere that you can leave a review helps us to have other people find us. Um, those reviews are really, really important in terms of um, moving us up in the search ratings. We're basically everywhere. Yes. We're we Visa are. everywhere you want to be. Reform Brotherhood. Yes. We could be the Lutheran Brotherhood and we could talk about ubiquity. <laughs> you like that? It's like, yeah, I do like that. Yeah. Cut, cut to the two Take Lutherans that, Jordan Cooper. that were like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jordan Cooper is uh, somewhere in Illinois right now and he's like, I felt a disturbance in the force. Yeah, which yeah is something that all Lutherans have. So He's probably never going to hear this, but I am certainly going to notify him <laughs> that I made fun of him on this podcast. Uh, I love Jordan Cooper. I love you, Jordan. You're a great guy. I love it. We, listen, we love all our brothers and sisters. And so interact with us on Facebook. Yeah, we're, we speaking of Facebook, just come and hang out. And we do kind of cover your interactions. I think that's helpful to us to let us know what you're thinking. And yeah, I mean, we look forward to put, hearing feedback and getting a sense for uh, hopefully these conversations are a blessing to somebody besides Tony and I. Otherwise, we're just recording and throwing ourselves yes. on the Internet. And yes, that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's it, it. It's it was a it would be about as awkward as that like four seconds just was if you right. heard it. I do think this is this is episode seven. I, I do think this was the perfect episode. So it's all downhill from here. Yeah, basically it's it's all over. So just subscribe and download from this point on. But you don't yeah. have to actually listen. Yeah, don't listen. But but you should definitely download because that helps us you keep our numbers de- up. You should definitely download. It's not that we're all about the numbers, but you know. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. Jesse, do you have any closing words of wisdom for us about technology? I don't. I think like we've talked about, it's a, it's a great tool and a horrible master. And we need to, I know I need to just be better at discerning the two. So I appreciate the encouragement. How about you? Um, I don't think I could say it any better than that. I mean, I think we need to learn how to use our technology better. Uh, we need to make sure that we're not turning it into an idol and we really should learn to make it work for us instead of uh, working for it. Amen. All right. Well, we will see you next week and hope you have a good one.